Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 17 tonight. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Continue to pray for those that are sick. We had a lot away this morning. And uh, good to see so many out tonight. I figured with the flu going around and the storm that we had passed through, folks would be more careful. But let's uh, praise the Lord for who's here. And thank you for being here and faithful. Let's look at Acts chapter 17 tonight. We're going to read... Uh, 15 verses, and then I'm not going to preach tonight. I'm going to teach tonight. And you say, well, what's the difference? The difference is, is if I say that I'm going to preach, then you will judge me by the criteria of what I'm going to teach you tonight. I want to teach a message or a lesson tonight entitled, Whether Those Things Are So. Whether Those Things Are So. I'm not going to expound on this verse of Scripture but I want to use it as a springboard, if you will, into some Bible principles and teach you those principles on discerning biblical preaching. Discerning biblical preaching. I have spent years listening to preaching and preaching myself and made uh, mistakes lots of times during those times. But a couple weeks ago, uh, evangelist Jim Scheller preached a message on biblical discernment. And uh, I came away from that saying, I, I don't know that we would call that necessarily preaching, but he taught a great Bible lesson. And it was incredible in the sense that it was preaching, it was proclaiming the word, there's no doubt about that. But it was a great lesson for us, it helped us. And I would encourage you, if you didn't hear it, to go back to our website and listen to that message on biblical discernment. And so tonight I want to make an application of that message in the area of Bible preaching, all right? In the area of Bible preaching. Now I, over the years, have sat in conferences with preachers who have years of experience, and I've heard messages preached that pleased people and they caused people to cheer them on and got the congregation all riled up, but they were not the least bit biblical. And that's a problem because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.1, preach what? The Word. We are to carefully preach the Word of God. Let me give you a couple of examples. Years ago, I was in a Bible conference, and this happened two messages in a row. One was a message from the scripture in the book of Genesis, give me children or else I die. And of course, that's what Rachel said to her husband, and they were praying for a child, and she said, give me children or else I die. And she so desperately wanted some children. And, and we can understand that. Young parents sometimes go through that and uh, it becomes a burden upon them. But understand in their culture, it was almost a reproach for a woman not to have a child, especially a son that could provide for her if her husband passed away. But the preacher went on to preach on churches and their mission to reproduce other churches and related it to all the physical limitations a lady might have in childbearing to why a church doesn't birth other churches. That is not Bible preaching. One does not relate. The physical does not match the spiritual. Now, if God were to say, this is why churches don't reproduce churches, because it's very similar to a lady and having children, then we could accept that because God said it. But he took that verse completely out of context it had nothing to do with churches. There was no church in the book of Genesis. And, and just totally just made up whatever message he wanted to make up. And he talked about all kinds of physical things that I wouldn't even talk about in a mixed crowd. And said, this is why churches don't have churches. The preacher right after that got up and he preached a message on where there is no vision, the people perish. We've all heard that message, haven't we? 
about having a vision for the future and casting out a vision before people, that verse has nothing whatsoever to do with that at all. The word vision in that passage means a word from God. Literally, it was talking about biblical preaching. You'll remember in the days of Samuel, as a young lad, the Bible says that he did not know the Lord yet because there was no open vision. God was not giving his word to his prophets, and they were not proclaiming the word of God, so Samuel had not yet heard biblical preaching and never was introduced to God. That's what the word vision is. And by the way, if we don't have biblical preaching, surely a people will die. We need to hear from God. And so that's the context of the verse. And I remember after that session, both preachers preached, and a couple preachers in front of me leaned over to each other, and they said, wow, did we ever hear some preaching today? The preacher I was sitting with leaned over to me and he says, we haven't heard any preaching yet. Because both messages had nothing to do with the word of God. That's the problem a lot of times we face today. We must be careful. I was at a Faith Promise missions conference once and I heard a message from the life of Samuel. And it talked about Hannah, how she gave herself to the Lord that she might receive something from the Lord, a son named Samuel, that she could give it back to the Lord. I thought, okay, I don't know that I agree with that, but I see what you did there. And then he said, in chapter 2, I believe it is, chapter 3, that every year Hannah would go to the temple and the Bible says that she would make a little coat for Samuel. And he says, you know, every year that coat had to get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, so our faith promise gift to the Lord ought to get a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. That scripture has nothing to do with giving an offering unto the Lord. And yet it was preached and people were, amen, oh, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's some deep insight, preacher, that's good. No, it was manipulation. That's what it was. It was manipulating of people to give more money when the scripture had nothing to do with that whatsoever. I suppose that there's times I'm guilty of the same and taking something out of context, whether knowingly or unknowingly, but we must be very careful to make sure that we uh, are judging whether these things are so. When a preacher does that sort of thing, he is not, he is simply saying, I do not trust the word of God to bring about the change that is necessary. And so instead he seeks to manipulate We'll look at Acts chapter 17 and we'll reference the scripture that Brother Shadler referenced and we'll get into some things tonight that I hope and I pray will help you. And I'm going to be honest, I'm putting myself on the hot seat, aren't I? Because next Sunday you're going to have this checklist and you're going to say, all right, Pat, what's this? You didn't do what you said is supposed to happen in biblical preaching. But in all honesty, we ought to be looking for these things because the truth is we'll go place to place to get our ears tickled when what we desperately need is the word of God. And so let's, let's look tonight, Acts chapter 17. Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. By the way, many people say, well, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, which he was, but as his manner was, he went into the synagogue first. 
He reached the Jews first. He, he always did that everywhere he went. Just, just a point for the side there. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. You'll remember last Sunday morning I referenced a, a doctrine that is going around that the Jews and the Gentiles back in these days were saved in two different ways. But here is Paul preaching to the Jews clearly the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They too must be saved by faith in Christ. Verse 4, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city saying, are crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that were said about Bethel Baptist Church? They turned the world upside down. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 7, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming hither went, or thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So now we're in Berea. There were, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now look what they did next. And searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still." Look, if you will, back in verse 11, the Bible says these, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Paul, we love the preaching, but don't mind us if we check the word of God to make sure it's true. We are going to trust but verify why? Because their eternal souls were at stake. You should not trust salvation to any man. You should only trust it to the word of God. If we gladly receive the word and the scriptures were to stop there, listen to me, we become a cult following. We follow a man or a preacher. But when we take the time to search the scriptures to make sure that we are actually receiving the unadulterated word of God, then we become disciples of Jesus Christ. This church experienced great growth. We don't see that in every place that Paul went as, as, as much as we do here in Berea. And the Bible says it began to grow. And so much so that people in Thessalonica heard about their growth. Those that were saved and added. So they came to stir up strife. Let's have a word of prayer tonight as we seek to think about some thoughts tonight regarding this title, whether these things are so. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Lord, as with any 
lesson over a message, there's a lot more facts to share and a lot more things to keep straight in our minds. And I pray that you'd help us tonight. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would just uh, take some of these Bible principles. And, and though I, I'm not preaching or expounding on any one passage, Lord, we are going to bring out some Bible principles that I believe will help us in making sure we are under the sound of sound preaching. I pray, Lord, that it would be biblical and help us tonight. Lord, I need your help. May the Spirit of God fill me, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whether these things are so, I'm going to be honest with you, I think, I, I think that maybe I'd be offended sometimes earlier in my ministry if somebody were to say that to me. You preach a message, you put your heart and soul into it, you work all week on it, and you get up on a Sunday morning, and you, you, you know the Spirit of God is working, you can feel his presence, and you, you pour out your heart before the people on the behalf of God, and somebody says, well, I'm going to go home and make sure that's so. I'm going to check up on you, preacher, but in all honesty, that's exactly what we ought to be doing, exploring the scriptures and learning for ourselves what the wonderful oracles of God are. That when we hear the message, we know that it is not sounding a, a strange tone, but instead it's a sound that we can amen and we can glorify God in because it lines up with what we have learned about Christ and the Bible. And so we must seek for ourselves. And so I want to just give you a few things tonight that I believe would help you in examining uh, Bible preaching or a, a sermon to make sure that it is in fact from God. Number one, here's, I would encourage you to write some things down tonight, not necessarily because I have anything important to say, but the word of God does. Let me, let me start with this. Here's the first question we should ask. Is the message biblical? He said, well, isn't that what it, it always should be? Yes, it is. Absolutely. I would agree with you, but I give you three instances this night that were not biblical. And I've heard hundreds of others. Is the message biblical? The very simple scripture we can attach to that is 2 Timothy 4.1, which I've already quoted. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The word doctrine literally means Bible truth. And so we are to preach the word of God. You know, there's a lot of times I've heard Bible uh, preachers get up or preachers get up and, and share a message. And let me give you an example tonight, if I could, and I'll carry this analogy throughout part of the message. Uh, some people might say, well, I want to give you a message tonight that would help us to understand three ways that David was encouraged. I think you would agree with me tonight that David, King David, got discouraged at times. The Bible says he had to flee for his life from King Saul. He hid in a cave called Adullam, and, and there he needed to be helped and encouraged at times. And so there were times in his life of great despair. And I've heard messages like that, and the points might even come from Scripture, but are no way principles that we are to repeat. You see, what do you mean by that? That's the problem sometimes I've discovered. Sometimes I'll hear a preacher, well, let me tell you, three ways David was encouraged. Number one, he went out to the field and he picked mandrakes. So if you just go pick flowers, you know, you'll feel better. And we, we make that application, and I'm going to be uh, exaggerating tonight a little bit to prove my point, but you understand what I'm saying. We'll say, well, David went out, well, David might have played the harp, and so now we all need to learn how to play the harp if we're going to be encouraged in the Lord. 
And that's the kind of preaching I've heard over the years. And rather than making the broader principle that God has given us some Christ-honoring music, the Bible says in the New Testament to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we can make a biblical application, but instead they'll say, well, David learned how to play the harp, so you should also learn how to play the harp, and, or a stringed instrument at least, if you can, maybe a guitar or a, a fiddle, something like that. And we hear these applications that are so pointed and direct and they might have a bit, they've come from Scripture, but don't forget this, Scripture also records history. I might be able to say this, if I were to take a passage of Scripture out of the context, listen to me, this is going to sound absolutely outrageous because you're already judging it in your heart and mind, and I'm going to bring it back up later on. I might be able to say, how did King David handle the stress of war? Well, he went out and committed adultery. He used deceit to try to cover it up, and finally he murdered a man. So there you go. That's how David handled the stress of war, everybody. How many of you would say, that, that doesn't help us, preacher? But that's biblical, that, that comes from the Bible. That's what David did. And I've sat under so many sermons that are preached just like that. Now, in our minds and in our conscience, we say, well, we already know that that's wrong, and so we wouldn't do that. But if David were to encourage himself in the Lord by doing something else, we would also know that that is good and right. We cannot judge the Bible by our conscience or our own morality. We cannot force our opinion on the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak. And so, first of all tonight, is the message biblical? Number one, you say, well... What, what if a preacher comes and says David was in the cave of Adullam and he, and he encouraged himself in the Lord? The Bible says he did that, right? He learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. We used to say it this way, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But David encouraged himself in the Lord and he gave some principles. I would tell you tonight that that's fine if these conditions apply. Listen, number one, is there clear instruction from the Lord? In other words, did the Lord tell him to do that? Was David in a place of despair and God explicitly gave him instruction and said, David, here's what I need you to do next. Here's what will encourage you. Here's what will help you in this journey. Uh, I, David, I want you to steal away into that cave because I want you to pray and I, I want you to uh, write some psalms and I want you to find some time alone with me and it'll encourage your heart. Did the Lord explicitly give him instruction? Or was there implied instruction? You see what he mean by that? Had David already learned from his Bible training as a youth that this is how to find encouragement in the Lord? Can we go back into the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and knowing that David the king would have had that type of education to know the Holy Scriptures and say, I'm just practicing what the Lord instilled in my life, what my mom and dad taught me about God, what I learned by going to the synagogue, what I learned uh, alone with the Lord on the hills tending to the sheep, how God had spoke to my heart in various times. I'm putting those principles into practice did God explicitly give instruction or did he give implied instruction? You know, isn't that the truth about how we always behave or we should always behave? We say that the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice. So let me ask you, what does that mean to you? Has the Lord explicitly commanded or is it a principle that's implied throughout the scriptures that we have learned and that we put into use? 
Let me give you an example. Elijah was upon Mount Carmel. And as he's on Mount Carmel, you know the battle he was facing. There were uh, prophets of Baal that were facing off in a contest, and they built an altar, and, and they, they danced upon that altar, and they cut themselves, and they cried out to their God to light that sacrifice on fire. When Elijah's turn came, he poured bucket after bucket of water on top of it. And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord rained down fire from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. Now let me ask you, does that mean God is always going to work that way? Does that mean God is always going to rain down fire on your situation for you? Of course not. So what is the broader principle? God is almighty and all-powerful, and you can trust him. That he's in control of every situation, And you can go to him in prayer, and he has the answer in store. Never should we say, oh, well, God will rain down fire upon this situation because he did it once. And so sometimes we have to be careful when we look at the Bible characters and say, well, this is what Joseph did, or this is what Daniel did. Uh, Listen, I hope I never have to do what Daniel did and shut the lion's mouths. I hope I never have to go into a fiery furnace. And so we preach these, we have to be careful about preaching these minute principles when God has a bigger principle in mind that he's in control and he's almighty and he's all powerful and you can trust him. And so as we think about biblical preaching, let us be careful to make sure it is biblical. Is there clear instruction from the Lord? Is it explicit or implied? Or sometimes was it endorsed by the Lord? In other words, as we read the story of Daniel in the lion's den, we might find the phrase after, the Lord blessed Daniel, or the Lord was pleased, or the Lord answered his prayer, or the Lord heard Daniel's cry. Or in the scriptures, do we see clear evidence that the Lord was pleased by their behavior? You say, well, you're giving us a lot of information tonight. I understand, but it's important that we understand this, because here's what I understand about Daniel. And here's what I understand about David and Moses and Joshua and all the rest. They're all sinners. They're all sinners. And we can learn principles about God, how he interacted in their lives, but we are not to pattern ourselves after Daniel or David. How many of you have heard messages, well, just like Daniel, we ought to pray three times a day. You ought to pray three times a day because the Lord Jesus Christ says, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come boldly to the throne room of grace. We have the invitation from God to pray. We have the, we have the uh, command of the Lord to pray. We have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ praying to his Father. Hey, we, have the, we have the instruction from Jesus Christ himself teaching us how to pray. Our Lord, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we have far better authority than Bible characters. But we can learn from them if the Lord has given instruction or if the Lord endorses their behavior. When Daniel came out of that lion's den, the king looked down in and he says, Daniel, did you live? He says, oh, king, live forever. The Lord hath shut the lion's mouths. Do you know what the next few verses say about Daniel? And the Lord prospered Daniel. His endorsement upon his behavior that night. And God promoted Daniel, and he became chief in charge of the province.
What an incredible story of faith. But we have to be careful to be sure that it is something the Lord wants us to repeat in our lives. Number one, is the message biblical? Number two, is the passage preached in its context? Is the message preached in its context? I'm going to be honest, early on, I didn't understand that a whole lot. I didn't worry about it a whole lot. I took a few verses that spoke to my heart. I'll preach that, whatever it was. But context means not to pull something just out of its greater meaning. So you might have a paragraph or a chapter that has usually the chapter divisions. By the way, God didn't put in the chapter and verse numbers. You know that, right? That happened years after the Bible was printed. But God, uh, God allowed man to add those things, and they tried to divide it up by thoughts. And then my Bible has paragraph markings, and those are broken down into smaller thoughts. But we should at least make sure that we understand what God is saying as a whole. To pull one verse out of context, somebody said this, a text taken out of context becomes a pretext for whatever you want it to say. We can twist and turn the scripture by not showing the real meaning behind it. And so is the passage preached in its context? I'll tell you this, when somebody else is preaching, and I'll, I'll warn all of our staff of this, if you're going to preach uh, Acts chapter uh, 16, verse 11, I go back to verse 1, and I read all that, and I read verse 12, and I read on, and, I, and while you're preaching, I'm reading the rest of that passage. And if that doesn't give me enough information, I'll back up a couple chapters, and I'll be reading, and I'll be listening with one ear, and I'll be listening to scriptures with another, because I want to know, is that really what it says? Listen, the Bible, when, when it comes to Bible preaching in the book of Nehemiah, we are not to make our own sense of the scriptures. The Bible says they made sense of the scriptures. In other words, they help us to understand it. So is it in context? Is it in context? I remember hearing a message. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. I heard a message just a few years ago. Many of in this room heard this message. We were at a conference and the verse that was preached was from Genesis, and it just simply said this phrase, there were giants in the earth in those days. The context, obviously, is that they were literal physical giants. He said, how do you know that? Because the Bible says they were before the flood and after the flood. And we know that Caleb went in and he fought some giants, didn't he? We sing that song, I Want That Mountain. Talks about the giants on the, the Mount of Hebron that, that Caleb would go in and he would defeat those giants. They were literal giants in the land. The Bible says that when the spies came back from Canaan, they were afraid because we were like grasshoppers in their sight. These giants were so big. But the preacher went on to preach there were giants in the earth in those days. And then he preached for the next hour about his heroes of the faith didn't preach at all. He just said, this man was my hero and this man was my hero. And they showed some videos and he talked about the works that they had done. And he said they were giants in the land. Friends, I'm going to be honest with you, that's blasphemy. We cannot apply the scripture to human men and expect God to bless it. That's wrong. And so often we see that scripture is taken out of its context and twisted and turned, and we need to be careful when we hear a message preached like that. I shared with you a few moments ago, how did King David handle the stress of war? 
He said, well, that's, that's just silly, Pastor, that he committed adultery and he, he deceived people to cover it up and then he, then he murdered the husband and took her as his wife. And nobody believes that's good or right. But listen, let me ask you this. What if a visitor walked in for the first time never hearing Bible preaching? And I were to get up and to say, here's how David handled the stress of war and I laid out those three things, they would say, is this Bible? Is this what the Bible says? Is this, that, that just sounds absolutely crazy. Because we take things out of context. If we read the rest of the scripture, what do we find out? Naaman points the finger and says, thou art the man. We see that that child dies. And David's kingdom is, is irreparably damaged because of his sin with Bathsheba. And God totally turns David's life around at that moment. But if we take it out of context, we could preach that drivel and have a visitor believing it because of Bible illiteracy. So let's be careful to make sure we keep things in context. Here's the third thing. Is the message biblical? Is the passage preached in its context? Number three, is the passage interpreted correctly? Is the passage interpreted correctly? You remember... A few minutes ago, I said, where there is no vision, the people perish. That means where there's no preaching of God's word, where there's no vision from God, when God is not communicating with his people. Think, think about this. For centuries, China had no Bibles allowed. I still believe they smuggle them in. I don't believe they're allowed there now. Very few Bible preachers because of communism. Some of God in and are trying to preach the word of God there and doing it underground and in secret today. But for vast majorities of that society, they've never held a Bible in their hand. They've never known the Christ of the Bible. I, I remember a young man coming to our school from Korea and when he went home, he accepted Christ as his savior while he was here and he went home and he tried to tell them that uh, about his faith and how he had trusted Christ. And they said, oh no, that's, that's just a, um, what do they call it, a spirit. That's just a spirit. And they did not mean the Holy Spirit. They meant that's just fake or phony like a ghost. Just, it's just a ghost. That you don't believe in that kind of thing. We don't, that's not real. And they stole, they tried to steal that seed from his heart. But those in China, I've seen videos where they get their first Bible and they weep and they cry because they wonder what other people have that they don't have. And they discover the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they receive that Bible, we can see the very plain thing that in parts of those, those countries where there is no vision, what happens to the people? They perish spiritually, don't they? They shrivel up and die. They go off to a crisis eternity, but you give them the very word of God and they come alive. It is a quickening spirit, the very word of God. And so is the word of God interpreted correctly? Now here's some errors in interpreting and I've touched on these a little bit. Number one, anytime we interpret based on our own conscience or morality, be careful about imposing your own thoughts on the Bible. Here, here's the thing. Most of you folks have been in church long enough or you've been raised in a, a, a moral society or a moral home, 
Even if your parents were saved, they taught you right and wrong, right? Uh, some of you might have grown up in a family that didn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, but they still told you, hey, hey, Tommy, when you go to the store, don't you steal that chocolate bar. You, don't, you pay for those things. You don't touch those things. And they taught us right and wrong. And so we look at the word of God sometimes and we impose our morality on it. But what if a visitor came in tonight and I preached a message on Hosea? Do you know who God told Hosea to marry? A prostitute. We might, we might have somebody come in halfway through the message and hear me preaching, well, Hosea married a prostitute, and they'd say, oh, that's terrible. No, that's exactly what God wanted. But when we impose our morality or our conscience on the Bible, we miss the whole story. We miss out what God is doing. Why did God tell Hosea to marry a prostitute? To demonstrate that Israel was committing spiritual adultery with false gods. That they, the, as the Bible says, they went whoring after other gods. And God was using his prophet to demonstrate that. And she was unfaithful to him time and time again. And yet he loved her and took her back. And that was God showing his people, I will take you back. I will love you despite your sin if you'll just repent. But when we impose our morality on the Bible and our conscience on the Bible, we look at it and we start turning it. You know the other side of the coin is true as well? Brother Judge just showed me a brand new Bible translation yesterday, the Pride Bible. They have completely, I, I don't even know what they were trying to say. I was reading the one part about the, the six slanderous and hateful passages against homosexuality that have nothing to do with homosexuality, they say, and they go on and on and on. You know what they've done? They've imposed their morality and their conscience upon the word of God. We have to be careful we don't do the same thing. In other words, what the Bible says is right. And if I don't like it, too bad. It is what it says you are. And we are to obey what it says we are to do. So be careful on interpretations based on our own conscience or morality. And sometimes that's what we do. Hey, let me tell you three things David did to encourage himself in the Lord. And we hear those three things. And, oh, aren't those wonderful? I've done them before. I've tried them. They work. Wonderful. I'm going home encouraged tonight. And maybe it wasn't biblical at all. Or maybe it was just for David. So let's be careful to make sure that we're interpreting it not based on our own conscience or morality. We cannot force our ideas upon Scripture. Number two, interpretation based on a prior act of God. Now, I'll exaggerate this again. You remember Elijah calling down fire from heaven? The tendency I've heard in preaching, literally, and God will call down fire on any situation in your life. Not likely. Not likely. And here's the problem. Somebody's going to go home and they're going to try to call down fire on a situation. Right? And they're going to come away disillusioned and discouraged and probably even leave the church because it was no help to them. But if the preacher can take the broader application that God is in control, God is almighty and God is all powerful and he can do anything he wants to do and we can call upon him in our hour of need, then we can go home encouraged. Because we have a God that loves us and cares about us. And so let's be careful about interpretations based on a prior act of God. I cannot promise you tonight that if you get thrown in a den of lions that God will shut the lion's mouths. I can't promise you that. He did it for Daniel, but he had a purpose. That he might receive glory with the king of Babylon. 
If you know the king of Babylon, maybe we'll make that stretch for you. But we don't know that for sure. But here's what I do know. God can give you grace for that hour. And God can supply for your need. Here's what I also know. More Christians have died at the hand of lions than were ever spared. Matter of fact, I think only one has ever been spared that I know of, Daniel. So let's be careful of interpretations based on a prior. I'm going to tell you what, it makes good preaching. It does. You get up there and you start thundering about God's power and he'll do the same for you. And boy, it gets people excited, doesn't it? Why don't we teach them just the principles? God is almighty. God is ever-present. God never turns his eyes away. God knows your inward needs and he knows your outward failings. And he can supply. Number three, does the application follow the interpretation? Does the application follow the interpretation? In other words, if the scripture is interpreted properly, does the application follow that interpretation? Sometimes we make such broad applications that have nothing to do with what the scripture says. And so these are just some questions that we might ask ourselves when listening to a preacher. And, if, and sometimes you can listen and everything's fine, but every once in a while that little, that little antenna goes up, right? Some just pricks your heart and you go, hmm, hmm, I don't know about that. And, and let's be honest, preachers are just men. We, we make mistakes all the time. I, I, I joke with people sometimes. We, we share, I get with other preachers, we share the dumbest things we ever said. Brother, Brother Stone, I heard your son one time preach. He said he was getting all fired up about hell. And, and he said, the only people living in graveyards are dead people. And we all kind of looked at each other and thought, the only people living in graveyards are dead people. They're, that's a scary graveyard right there, I'm telling you. And we, we joke about that. We make mistakes and we say things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about completely massacring a text. Listen, do we want the word of God or do we want some man's opinion about the word of God? We need the word. Pure and adulterated. So I only gave you three things tonight. So when we are discerning preaching, number one, is it biblical? Is the preacher relating what the Bible said, Bible and therefore what God is communicating to us? Is this what God says? I'm going to be very honest about, about a lot of things. I, I have to remind myself sometimes when I'm reading the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is not about Joshua, it's about God. The book of Daniel is not about Daniel, it's about God's interaction with Daniel and his people, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the nation of Israel and Babylonian captivity. It's about God dealing with Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and, and, and Xerxes and all these kings that we see. It's God dealing. And so we, we look at it and say, oh, let's talk about, no, let's talk about the Lord. What is the Bible teaching us about the character of God, the, the, the immutability, the never-changing attributes of God? What do we see? And so is it biblical? Listen, let me say this. I've heard preachers say this. I've said it. I know I have. Here's what God is trying to say here. God never tries to say anything. He just says it. He, he, he's not scratching his head thinking, now how can, I, how can I best communicate this to those hard heads? He knows exactly what to say. And when we don't hear, his Holy Spirit continues to work. So is it biblical? Number two, is it in context? When we examine the entire passage or the book, is that really what the verse means? 
Is it a help? And number three, is it being interpreted properly? Paul said in Philippians that no man communicated with him. That doesn't mean nobody was talking to Paul or, well, that's, you know, first time I read it, that's what I thought. Nobody, oh, poor guy. He's alone in a jail cell somewhere. Nobody's communicating. The word communicated means nobody paid him, took care of him financially. It was about receiving offerings from the churches that were supporting him. He, says, he said to Philippi, he was commending Philippi because he says, no man communicated, but, but actually you did. You're the only ones. And I want to thank you that your care unto me hath flourished again. They were taking care of him. And so it's, is it being interpreted correctly? I actually heard a whole message preached on that. No man communicated with me. And the guy was talking about depression and despair because he was all alone and nobody would talk to him. And that had nothing to do with the scripture whatsoever. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Is that interpreted correctly? And so it's important that we become students of the word of God. So when we come to Bible preaching and when we listen, let's just start with those three. Number one, is it biblical? If you start there, you'll do well. Is it biblical? Is this what the Bible says? Is it in context? And is that passage that he's talking about interpreted correctly? Is that what it really means? Let's pray. Father, help us to understand and speak to our hearts tonight. Uh, Lord, uh, not really preaching, but teaching about preaching. And I pray, Lord, that it would help both the hearer and this preacher, Lord, to be accountable. And Lord, that's what this is all about, that we might be accountable to the word of God and to God Almighty as we proclaim his wonderful word. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.